Hey everybody, sorry about the rough recording quality right here, well, rougher than it's been for a little bit. I'm having some technical issues with um, the everything of managing the podcast and them working on kind of subpar hardware until I get new hardware. But, that said, my name is Alex, this is Lunchbox Radio, and... Before we get started this week, I wanted to encourage everybody to go and listen to the last episode on My Dress Up Darling. If you haven't listened to it, it is literally the last episode in the feed. And we'll be going a couple more weeks with kind of odd, with an odd audio setup. Because I've got new, I've got new toys coming in, man. But on that note... Let's jump right into what we're talking about this week, which is a little show called Serme Rome Nove. general sense. I want to touch on the kind of odd like micro niche that this show comes out of. And that is a kind of enthusiast show. Um, the most popular versions of these shows are actually um, something along the lines of like a sports anime. So I just started watching um, which is a very very weird experience, I promise you, if you know anything about anime and licensing, this is a very strange experience of a show. It's called, um, Birdie Wing, which is the, um, latest thing, which is, like, the latest golf anime out of, um, Bandai, out of Bandai, the, out of the studio Bandai Namco, which is insane. They're the people who, um, who they're the people who, like, are responsible for both Pac-Man and Gundam in, like, a weird way as licenses. But they, they're they making a show about ladies who play golf. I've checked out the first episode the day I'm recording this um, on my lunch break at work. But these kinds of enthusiast shows, lots of times the way you will most often encounter them is... Sports anime. That is the most common way you can encounter them. Um, they get a little bit more and a little bit less niche in terms of sports anime. Like, 
the golf girl show is pretty niche. There's a show all about, you know, climbing, about sport climbing. That's pretty niche. Only that doesn't mean they're any better or worse shows. In some cases, those shows are, like, the best sports anime because they, like, go all the way shonen with it, and it's wild. Um, even something like Haikyuu is, like, a enthusiast-like show under the guise of being, hey, you want to play the sport, kid? You want to play some, some indoor volleyball? <laughs> um, some indoor all-men volleyball? <laughs> but... There are other shows about this, and there's, there's like this weird push and pull between like how in, how realistic enthusiast you want to go with these shows, or how fantastical you want to go with these shows. Um, and th- I'll promise this has a point. I I swear. Where you look at something like Gundam Build Fighters, which is a show that is explicitly about trying to get you into building Gunpla model kits. And what that show is for, like, it has a fantasy segment to it, but it's not, it's really, its point is to make sure that everything it shows in the show, you can then run out to a toy store or a model hobby shop and buy in, like, say, Tokyo. There's another kind of enthusiast show even than that. And it's like enthusiasm. It's like an enthusiast for an activity that's like a super niche activity. Um, This is where you get a lot of those like sumptuous anime food cooking shows. Um, um, There's a show called called Waka Kozake that's all about a woman who like in her in the hours after work, goes and enjoys a nice drink and, like, izakaya bar food. I, My point is that these enthusiast shows can be way more niche than you expect and way more targeted somehow than you expect. And that brings us to Therme Rome, which um has a couple things I want to talk about. First, I want to talk about the Netflix of it all, because Therme Rome Nova came out on Netflix um, this year. Um, probably, I think, about a week ago, or maybe two weeks ago. Probably two weeks ago. And it's a... It's got... It's got an ele- it's an 11 episode show, and it's about a Roman bathhouse architect, which is already very specific, who time travels back and forth from ancient Rome to modern day Japan. But like he does it with like water as the time travel medium. So like he arrives in places out of water in like certain in like a dude's bathroom one time, in an outdoor hot spring, in a um in a, it the on the episode I'm currently up to, he's like about he's about to arrive in a plumbing emporium somehow, which is wild. Like I want to see him like drip out of a faucet or whatever he's about to goddamn do. And I made an odd exception with this show in that I didn't watch every episode, mostly because how should I put this? Um, it's the same gag every time, and the, the rough idea is that I'm not really spoiling anything in in here because it, it a it's the same gag every time, but b it's about the specifics of the gag that make it that make it kind of fun and relaxing to watch. Um, basically, Lucius, our main character. Who's a um who's big, who in this show is like a famous Roman bath architect or um I think it's called like a therme is what they call the bath which is probably Roman for public bath but he like needs to solve a design problem so then he like first in some form or circumstance 
falls on like into the water and gets like pulled into modern day Japan where like they just have public baths figured out. <laughs> and he like has a freak out where he doubts the power of Roman technology and figures out some design stuff about how to make a bath a public bath better and or a bath in general better. And then he like goes back through the water back into ancient Rome. And they make various little like fun jokes around that as well. Like when he goes to the outdoor bathhouse, he encountered bathing hot spring baboons, which is like a real thing. And one of them follows him back. <laughs> and like the client he made for that bat made that bath for was like, um, what is this thing? He's like, oh fuck, that thing needs to go home at some point. You know what? It seems fine. I'm never mind. But the joke is the same every time. So the kind of joy of it is twofold. It's how will they make the joke this time? Actually, it's threefold. It's how will they make that joke this time? It what will he learn in like the process of it? And like how far can they spiral this? premise to make him continue to seem like he's getting more and more and more and more and more important. And so, but this part where this becomes an enthusiast thing is not actually in the anime. And this is something that they do oftentimes in animes that are about tourism. And I suspect that a lot of Surme Rome's appeal is about tourism. And it's probably more about tourism than you probably expect because it, it was released in on Netflix in America now. It was actually it actually came out um is it the manga or the um it actually came out in 2020 it, it actually came out or a version of this came out in 2012. And it like it looks like it was a very different thing, but it was probably much the same um it was probably a very similar concept. In fact, it looks almost incredibly similar, honestly. But what the what the kind of bonus segment of this show does that it kind it kind of stands in for almost a next time on thing because like I said the joke is so repetitive that it doesn't really matter what's going to happen in the next episode you already know the basic A to B of it it's just the specifics that make it kind of fun to watch. But the in places like the next time on um, Thurme Romain Nove, you get this kind of weird tourism segment that's all about the author of the original work just going to hot springs all over Japan. There's one where she goes to specifically outdoor hot springs. There's one where she goes to like a bathhouse is one and she shows you things that like that Lucius has specifically encountered. Like they talk about hot spring eggs in one episode. And so she goes and she tries some hot spring eggs. There is this tendency in lots of anime, especially in sports anime to or something like um, Food Wars or any number of shows that are about a specific thing. But sport, sports anime, especially niche sports anime, tend to be about this. And one of the good things I like about that um, climbing girls anime that I, that sports climbing anime that I mentioned before, they, they like touch on the fact that like these girls are not normal. Like it's not normal to want to like fucking climb all the time. It's like a very specific affliction. 
and other stuff exists outside of, like, this climbing world. It's not like that's all there is at all times. It's, that's what these girls are into, but you meet, like, very ancillary side characters in that thing that just, like, like funny internet videos like normal teenagers. <laughs> They're not all, like, ripped climbing monsters. It's, it's kind of refreshing for that show to do that, actually. What these shows tend to want to do is to make everything about whatever their specific thing is. So, and they've gotten better about it. It's not quite like, say something like Kuroko's Basketball anymore, where Kuroko's Basketball, everything in the in that show is like dipped in freaking deflated basketball juice. I don't know. Um, and so it's, you have to find something that can be A, stressed out enough for at least a season for sort of a show. B, it needs to be, you need to go into a decent amount of detail. It needs to be interesting enough to keep your attention. So, in sports anime, that's fairly easy because you can take each. So let's take something like um high like um Kuroko's basketball, which I keep coming back to because very good iteration of what the modern sports anime is, which is like a sports shonen showdown show basically. Uh, they take specific things, specific skills in that show. And they expand them to be whole power sets. So, perfect example of this is our main character, Kuroko. He is exceptionally good at passing the ball. And they go in on that so hard, it becomes this wild, like, at some point he's turning the ball into a Kamehameha blast and shooting it across the feet, and shooting it across the, um, the court to other members of his team. And, like, that's... Passing is a fundamental of the game of basketball. But it's, like, one of a bunch of other things. And they have all of these other characters um, who have very specific expansions on a one skill, maybe with the exception of the person who plays the point guard who is just real big and scary, yo. And, like, he's he's so big that that character, when he gets serious, the, like, the height advantage in basketball is a real thing, and, like, if you're taller than anybody, that, that means a whole bunch of other things. And so when that character ends up getting really serious, he, like, annihilates people. Because they're like, oh, wait, yeah, he's, like, seven feet tall. Of course he's going to be better at basketball than anybody else here. Um, but the, so they picked, they picked something very smart here. They didn't just pick going to a bath. They picked specifically the design and the, like, culture behind not just bathing, but public bathing. There's actually, I think, to date, really only two, three episodes of an 11-episode show that is about a singular person bathing. And, and in one of those cases, it's there's a side character who's really elderly, and to be able to bathe at home would be more beneficial for him because he's just too old to, like, get up and go. He'd get up and go, got up and went a long time ago, basically. So, the challenges that they give, that the show gives Lucius and the plot gives Lucius every week, or every episode, because it's clearly originally, like, a week-to-week thing, are specific but broad enough where... His, like, time-traveling journey can take him to 
like a big beautiful thing where he will learn what he needs to do, but he will also learn like more than that in order to create like a better and better bathing experience in ancient Rome every time. So a perfect example of this is he on like his first on like his second technically because the first and another key point of these is of these kinds of shows is oftentimes the first episode is just about establishing like baselines for the world that they can then jump off from and this show does actually a pretty exceptional job of that and like it it has this odd understanding of like Roman ancient Roman society that like you could totally have by like just like getting a whole bunch of research books and doing a whole bunch of research in that like Lucius's grandfather and Lucius's father were both bathhouse architects and he became a bathhouse architect through like plot reasons but his second time uh, his first real time of you know Go of dot of time diving basically, where he actually understood like oh, I know exactly what happened. Okay, time to learn some stuff. He goes to like a pretty standard Japanese public bathhouse. Think like the one you see in Ranma, in the Ranma bathhouse episode of Ran in the bathhouse episode of Ranma where he had to like contain Opusai. Um. And he figured out a bunch of unique innovations of, like, oh, there's this, like, they serve a cold drink, they serve a cold milk after after bathing that's really refreshing. You know, there's a basket to hold all your clothes. There's all this other stuff. And he, like... Then goes back and designs a bathhouse in that, and with those very simple add-ons, and he realizes like, oh, oh, it's like I time traveled. This is like modern awesomeness. That's why it seems so much better. Fuck. Um, and but the other thing that they do in that episode, they never really do again because once Lucius starts time traveling. He's bringing back so much more information than exists in, um, in the, like, time of ancient Rome that just, it, like, the little, the tiny little moments of an ancient Roman bathhouse that are extremely well designed just don't compete anymore. Um, but there's a moment when he's sitting in the bath and he looks up. And he sees this, like, slotted roof design. And he points it out, and he talks about it. He talks about what it's doing. Technically, it's catching the steam. The steam condenses into water and then drifts back down into the bath, which means that the bath, like, the bath had to refill with water less than it might otherwise. And also, it, like, has, like, a nice drip, 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 like, water sound constantly. But there's little, there's little things like that all over the show. There's little things of him as, like, not just an architect, but really a designer. Noticing, like, oh. <laughs> like, there's a, there's a moment in the, uh, in episode four where he's, like, trying, where he's time travel into this, like, modern day in-house private bathroom. And he, like, sits there and he's like, how the fuck did we, the great and mighty, and this is, like, a common thing as he talks about, like, great and mighty Roman culture is going to be defeated in, like, three hours or some horse shit. But he's like, how the fuck did we, the great and all-powerful, all-knowledgeable, deeply advanced Romans, not think to put a lid on a box and put hot water in it? <laughs> like, it's just... It's this moment of, like, he's like, that's so simple. I'm such a dumbass. What is wrong with me? I'm a fucking moron. And it... 
the great saying about modern art is like the thing that's great about modern art is you could do it, but you didn't. And th that is so much of what like Lucius's time traveling experience is about. He's like, <laughs> the scene um after he comes back from his second time travel from his first real time traveling like experience when he's and yet pull all these strings to endeavor to recreate the kind of like cold milk bottle that you get at the end of a bath in Japan. And he's like, these bottles are good. These bottles are the best we can do. But they are not as good as the bottles from that, like, he calls them flat-faced people of the future, which is, like, a very specific thing at Japanese people. That, like, it's a lot. It's a lot. It probably... It's a lot. But, like, he's like, these are not as good as the bottles from the future. Like, they just kind of suck. Also, I like, he, he remembers key things that, like, you or I wouldn't really remember. But by him remembering them, it causes us to focus on them, too. Which is a good, it's actually a really good trick for this show to do. To get you to notice all these little modern modern innovations in the world. So, in the show Beyblade, I know you're like, what the fuck is he about to talk about? In the show Beyblade, there is a moment where all the characters you're seeing go from the standard, like, Beyblade launcher that comes with, your, with Beyblade, with, like, your first Beyblade. It's like a little, like, square thing with a ripcord, and you, like, hold the square thing. It's got the Beyblade on the end of it, and you pull the cord with the other hand. They go from that to, like, a eventually there's, like, a guy who's got, like, a launcher contained inside of a fucking baseball that explodes into its own ripcord. And he's, like, pitching his Beyblade into the Beyblade Stadium like a psycho. But, like, most people have like a handle, like a handle grip launcher that lets them like pull back and you see them like at some point doing these hilarious pantomiming shadow boxing bullshit exercises where they're pretending, I'm doing it right now, um, where they're pretending to like rip a Beyblade cord holding one of these launchers. But the show uses that to show you like these kids we're doing this for fun and to like settle a score at one point. Now they are essentially professional athletes. And that's a good like breaking point to show you like, oh, these kids got scholarship money, so now they have better equipment. Surme <laughs> Rome does something similar in that it he's like has a moment where he sees the bottle opener. He's like, What the fuck is that? What the fuck is the like, he, he has this response to a ball opener that's like, what the fuck? What is that? Holy shit! Cool! It's awesome! And he translates that the best he can, but when he remembers what he saw, he's like, I will never forget that bottle opener for the rest of my life. I have never seen anything like that. What is this and the the kind of fun thing that you encounter with time travel especially time travel from the past to the future is not to like from like the distant past to our present rather it's not like if if George Washington came to 2022 he would be appalled at our politics I'm like Nah, dog. <laughs> he would be appalled at cars. Like, he would be appalled at indoor plumbing. And so many people skip over that part because they're trying to, like, use time travel to the present day to, like, prove a point. They forget, like, if you were a Roman bathhouse designer, you got picked up, you got, like, you time dove into somebody's bathroom. What's the most terrifying, what's the thing that would, like, be like, 
oh fuck. It not like you can comprehend a lid. A lid is not a um sorry I just started it. Um but you can comprehend a lid. A lid is not necessarily a like complex thing those have existed since the dawn of like humans kind of but you would be terrified you would be like perplexed beyond belief by a soap dispenser because one of the things that we all forget and one of these things that these like enthusiast shows do usually do a really good job of highlighting is we don't We'll never forget about something like the bath lid that they show in the um in episode four because that's a novel thing and that is a thing you can go out and buy that will improve your life drastically. What we forget about is we forget about the ephemera, the like things like oh, of course we have a soap dispenser in our bathroom. It's what you put in a bathroom. But, like, that, those little things, the equivalent of, like, the post-its of other parts of life that fade into the background. A, people make millions off of those things. And B, those are the most wild and complex and, like, insane leaps of logic of things you could ever freaking imagine. And... I think this show did a really smart thing is that by picking an incredibly modernistic part of the past in ancient, in the form of ancient Rome, that, that a prides clearly prided architect architecture and clearly prided design in it's like, general existence and people who were like designers and primarily architects had like a high standard of living it wasn't just like oh build the castle it was no build a roman palace build an emperor's home these kinds of things and like it wasn't like just people were designing buildings for nothing it was like if someone was an architect they could also be an emperor, who, which is the case in this in this specific um, show. The emperor that you eventually meet is actually like an architect first, and then he was an emperor. Um, but that's one of the ways these shows can hold your attention and, like, like I said, expand this to out to like a full series. Because if you just have him time travel and be like, "Oh shit." modern times, then come back and implement it, there's no, there's very few moments of like, oh wow, there's, in the episode four specifically, the moment where he sees like a, sh a removable shower head and he's like, what in the holy hell? And then when you see him back in his own time frame, he has like, backwards engineered a removable shower head that gets so close to what that was that it's kind of stunning, but they like they almost steampunkify it. They like replace the hose for the shower head with like cow intestines. They replace the head of the shower with like like a sack with like pinholes putting it in a specific like thing and he clearly like made some of this himself directed some people how to make it and like they make a point of like a Roman guard showing up to like invite him to go see the emperor but also like just like he shows up and he's like what the fuck is that old man doing are you cooking that old man and he's like no he taking a bath and he's old he can't go to the public bathhouse like everybody else so like I asked my friend Lucius my childhood friend Lucius to like come up with something cause he's good at this and he's like and the guard's like I'll fucking say also 
here's your invitation. You need to go see the Emperor. I don't know why. Connected? Who knows? But, like, that's what kind that's the first, so that's, like, the first part of what made this fun. The other part of what made this fun is just the, like, the other part of this, of this show that this show kind of lived in, and that is the tourism aspect. The, the next time on segments are replaced with, like, hilarious real-world segments of the original author of the original mangaka walking around in actual hot spring locations all over Japan and, like, trying stuff and, like, putting her, and, like, drawing with her feet in the water and doing, like, illustrating with her feet in the water and all this other stuff. And it's a, it's like a fun, relaxing time. And I would, I saw this, I'm like, this seems goofy for me to talk about. But I, like, so I sat down and I, like, watched the first episode. I'm like, wait a minute. There's, like, there's something here in a way that it pretty well demonstrated for the kind of specific niche of show it's occupying. And there are the... There's a how does a dog wear pants aspect to this stuff. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's um there's, and there's versions of this question is like how would a how would a brontosaurus wear a necktie like all this stuff. Um, would he wear it like right up close to his head or would he wear it all the way down by his body? Um, think about it. Think about it real hard. Let your brain like smoke for a while. Um, but. These questions are kind of fun brain teaser bullshit questions the internet throws out at people. Like, the, one of the more recent ones is, are there more wheels or doors in the world? And, like, people get on both sides of everything. Idiots. But one of the things that animators have to do specifically is they have to find answers to those questions constantly. Like, um, one of the best uh, breakdowns of a film of film that I've ever seen is, and I forget the YouTuber's name, but he's ranking all of the Studio Pixar movies, and he gets the Cars, the first Cars, and he just like has a he has a like a mental breakdown because. The existence of sentient cars implies a lot of other things. Like, at one point, he's like, what does a pregnant car look like? Is it a hatchback situation? Like, what? Huh? What? What's in... Who's driving these cars? What's in the cars? And, and it's like this... It's one of those things that drives people crazy about cars is that there's no internal logic to it. And, like, yes, on one level, like, just let this be a fun kid movie about cars that are characters. But on the other hand, like, I went to a couple weeks ago, I think I talked about this on the podcast, um, on the Sunday edition at some point. Um, You can go find it in the feed. I went to see the Disney, um, exhibit all about, like, Disney and French architecture and art and all that stuff um, in the Met, which I'm not sure if it's... I don't think it's still going, but it was a great exhibit. But what it shows you is exactly how much artists and especially animators think about the world around them and how the things they're going to put out will logically function because they don't... Because it, with animation, the idea of, like, art imitates life has to be taken really seriously. Um, a, the best example of this is if you've ever seen the old Godzilla movies and you see the bad overdubbing, it's, like, so bad. It, like, doesn't... It's so bad that it doesn't... That it takes you out of the movie and that becomes the joke. 
that's often a problem with all the dub things you watch on Netflix. One of the best parts of of anime in America, in terms of the English dubs, is they hi- they hire professional voice actors who like are trained to match their words to the to the what they call the lip flap of the character speaking. And the reason why they do that is because if they miss it by even a couple seconds, then it's all off and it doesn't it plays as a different thing. It takes you out of the of the fantasy world that the anime is trying to bring you into and it then focuses you in on, oh fuck, this is this is a different this is a different kind of experience. Not necessarily bad, but it's a different kind of experience. I so Disney recently um added all age material probably because they were like, oh fuck, Moon Knight is a lot. This needs to be rated a different thing. Shit. Um, that was probably a not small consideration. But they also brought back everything they took off of Netflix, like um, Daredevil, all the the Netflix Defenders series. Basically, they bought onto net onto Disney Plus. But one of the common ways that um, and Thermae Rome Nova is a example of this is a perfect example of this. Um, it it was something that aired in another country that Netflix brought here. And Disney has also done that with, I forget, I think it's called like Parallel or something, as a like teen drama thing. But I don't know where it's from, but the dubbing is so bad that I was like, I can't watch this. Like, my brain will not suspend disbelief enough to watch this show. Um, did another, like, Norwegian show about a drug kingpin kid that I also had issues with in, um, in, um, on Netflix. But I stopped and I thought about it. I thought about, like, what's the best, like, version of this I've ever seen? And it was actually an old, um, from the, like, early, from the early aughts, probably late 90s, more like it, um, take on redubbing old kung fu action movies from Japan, from what martial arts action movies from like Japan and China and Korea that um, they could get for, they could get licenses to for really cheap um, at MTV. And the idea was they would get the licenses movie and they would bring in a bunch of hip hop stars and they would have them redub it. And you can look. You can look this up. Um, the most notable one, the one I remember the most, is a movie called Volcano High. And they keep the overall, like, storyline of the thing, but then they just let these uh, hip hop and R and B stars go wild on this thing. And they all do this incredible job with it because they have such internal rhythm because they're rappers, R&B artists, hip-hop stars, and they all kind of, like, can do the beat absolutely perfectly, so it's, like, so much fun. Um, and the last anecdote of this, I will um, say, and then I'll make the point I'm trying to make, is the reason why Billy Bob Thornton does, um, is in all the Studio Ghibli dubs is twofold. A, he wants to make movies his kids can see before they're, like, crusty adults because he, like, made a lot of rated R movies. So, he like, when he got the opportunity to do dubbing for Duty Ghibli movies, like, you have no idea how much I've been waiting for this. Um, but he's also a former drummer in a band, in, a, like, a professional band. So he has such a great cadence and ability to hold that cadence that, like, he can do more sing-songy things that you might want done in, say, a cartoon or 
like a dubbing scenario and he can keep pace with like the welcome the rich Ben like kind of thing from Spirit Away or he can hit the very specific slow slightly incendiary and menacing tone um to the uh monk character in um that he plays in Princess Mononoke and like it he can keep that intentionality so specifically because he knows how to listen for that for that in say in the Japanese track and how to imitate it accurately and so like when when shows get that wrong with dubbing for like with English dubbing it takes you out of it when you all that little stuff in like say a bathhouse scenario if if it's slightly off you notice like if like a if let's say let's say this is a perfect example if someone gives you a ripped up t-shirt instead of a washcloth you'll give them this look like i mean technically this this fits the bill but it's not a washcloth but you need to know it's not right. And this show pays attention to things like washcloths. And then when Lucius brings it back to bring that bring that knowledge, that now secondhand knowledge back to his time, he does his best to approximate it and gets like gets like eighty percent of the way there. But the 20% that's missing is the thing that makes it look and function just a little weird. And that's probably best captured in his, like, comment about the bottle. He's like, this bottle is the best our finest craftsmen can produce. And it's nowhere near. So, like, beautiful, like, sexy curves of, like, a milk bottle. In, in like the um, in the context of where he saw it, which was like, we look at it and we're like, oh, that was that was that wasn't hand blown. That was made by a machine, and that's why it's so perfect. And they all look the same. But he and the the bottle that he that like the craftsman of ancient Rome came up with, it's probably the much more beautiful thing. But because it doesn't have the, like, polish and skill that, like, a machine can produce, because the machine, he's like, this is inferior, we are inferior. <laughs> I just need to remember and hold in my head that we do not hold a candle to where I fucking saw, stole this idea from. And he keeps going back and forth, keeps time-diving back and forth enough where he's like, He's getting better and better every time he makes a, a every time he gets back from a time dive. And that ultimately culminates really in episode 4, not necessarily only in episode 4, but in episode 4 where you see that he's like continually like hitting the mark of like that's 80% of the way there and it's so much better than what they have now. And like that's kind of the best thing I think you can hope for from these enthusiastic, from these, like, enthusiast shows. It's not that they are, like, so centered on the thing they're focusing on that's all you focus on, but that they explore it in a unique way, in a thoughtful way, in a way that, like, continues to be entertaining, and you kind of look forward even though you know what's about to happen, you look forward to how it's about to happen, to how it's going to hit those notes, and like how he'll translate a shower head to ancient Rome when he doesn't have like modern manufacturing abilities. Um, this is this is um, and I just thought of this, but this is part of the joy of watching something like Doctor Stone, when Senku is like, he is. The thing that makes him a science prodigy is not that he is, like, deeply intelligent 
although he is. The thing that makes him a science prodigy is that he knows how to break modern-day commonalities into their associated parts. He knows how to, how to figure out a light bulb, where most of us would not be able to do that. And he knows all the steps along the way to getting to a light bulb. Or, and he knows, like, how to imitate Coca-Cola enough to get to, like, here's a Coke, or here's ramen. But even in, like, that show, specifically with the ramen, <laughs> this is hilarious moment where they can't get the right kind of wheat, but he gets a kind of wheat and makes a kind of, like, fucked up ramen that is better than anything any of the characters who are from the Stone Age, like, have ever tasted. They're all obsessed with it. But, like, him and any other modern character in that show, the first time they eat it, they're like, oh, this is terrible. Like, it's, it's like, it is technically ramen. But it is not ramen. <laughs> this just sucks. You can have the rest. But, um, it's just a, it's a, that's a fun internal thing for a character to have because it gives, it gives you satisfaction as the viewer too because you see them realizing like, damn, this is, this is good enough, but it's not the real deal. Like, I have experienced the real deal. And this gets close, but this does not nail it to the wall, baby. And on that note, um, if you like this episode, new episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and Sunday. Thursday, more like this, is about an individual show or property or movie. Um, Sundays are more metatextual. They're about, like, like the next episode, the next Sunday episode that will be coming out will be all about um, fake brands and anime, like I said at the top of the show, um, at, or like something about like maybe an individual studio or maybe something that's happening in the industry. I've done, I've done a lot of things dragging Crunchyroll through the mud for for their bad merger, um, for their bad merger like thing and consequences that created the result of the merger. Um, so Sunday is more metatextual, more fan-based, more industry-based. Um, but until next Sunday, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you on Sunday. 